Living Time in the Integration of the Life by Dr. Morris Nichol. We left off with Aeon is not time, nor is it time itself, but some overshadowing totality that comprehends all in itself. That probably doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people. It makes a lot of sense to me because I've told you forever, forever meaning a long time, that this body is precipitated by your soul. What's true for the microcosm is true for the macrocosm. So this planet must be precipitated by something higher than this planet. This solar system must be precipitated by something higher than this solar system. This universe must be precipitated by something higher than the universe. So for me, it makes perfect sense, but not everybody's me, which is probably a good thing. I'm sure you're thinking that to yourself right now. Thank God for that. In the New Testament, God is said to have created the eons, translated ages, He's called King of the Eons. If we think of this word as meaning ages, it has a time significance, only a strange one, one that begins to turn our minds towards more than a three-dimensional world. The ages were created. Let's first look at one interpretation of Eon in a time sense. We can understand that to dwellers in a plain world, like a sheet of paper, I love this example, so I'm glad he keeps going back to it, because it's so handy. It's like a handle for us, for our poor little brains, to get hold of something that gives us some kind of an idea of what direction to move in. We can understand that to dwellers in a plain world like a sheet of paper, anything belonging to our world passing through their world will take a certain time to do so. A pencil will take a certain time, and this time will be determined by the whole form of the pencil itself which will, of course, be invisible and unknown to the paper beings, but known to us as higher dimensional beings. We might approximately think of the pencil itself existing in what is higher space for them, as the eon to them, of that cross-sectional and defective form which manifests itself in their two-dimensional world. So you got the picture, right? We've been through this so many times, it should be pretty easy by now. This illustration gives us a hint of one possible meaning of eon. That is, that which determines the form and extent of any existence in time, or the higher dimensional reality behind his expression in a world of more limited dimensions. So again, it's like I said, your soul precipitates your body. That means it makes it, it pushes it into manifestation. It pushes it into the three-dimensional realm. It gives it form and shape. So that's the idea. The illustration is only approximate, and ultimately, it's going to be inadequate. So if you're going to base all of your understanding on this illustration, you're going to find that it has holes in it. It's going to come apart, and then you're going to be right. You'll say, yeah, see, that's a blah, 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 blah. But you'll still be stupid. But you'll be right. And we all know that being right certainly is worth being stupid. All you have to do is look at the planet, and you'll see millions of people being stupidly dead right. What do you suppose runs that? Yeah, self-love, which means pride and vanity, right? Good, good answer. I knew you were going to come up with it sooner or later, but the podcast people, they were not willing to wait, so I gave the answer. The illustration is only approximate, but it suggests a way of thinking how every object visible in momentary passing time has its own higher Eonian reality. According to many ancient passages, it is this Eonian reality that is first created in the scale of creation. Example, God created the eons, 
and any creature in time and space derives its origin from its eon, but falls under the limiting conditions of time. Your soul forms your body. Your body is in the limiting conditions of time. Your soul is not. It then undergoes a cycle of changes that constitutes its growth and decay. So your body goes through a cycle of changes that constitute its growth and then decay. And following only what its senses depict, it derives from this sensory surrounding another kind of life. So following the dictates of our senses, we see a world that is not anything like the world that the soul is in. It's almost like a two-dimensional paper people world. One in passing time which seems confined to each moment only. Your past doesn't exist. Your future doesn't exist for you now. Because if you're looking at it completely from a sensory point of view, because it doesn't exist. The senses don't show us that, so it, it isn't. In this successively single-momented life into which it falls, there is no sense of the life as eon. It feels its existence only in a time sense. Now every creature's life, in a physical sense, has a certain length of appearance in time. Every single creature, in a physical sense, what do they say? Dogs, they age seven years to every one of ours. I will quote from an article by De Quincey about the meaning of eon. De Quincey is writing about the reference to eternal eonian punishment in the New Testament, insisting upon the false interpretation given to the Greek word aion. We'll call it eon anyway, whether they like it or not. And given necessarily, therefore, to the adjective eonians as its immediate derivative. Eonian does not mean eternal, that is, in our ordinary usage of the term. What is Eonian, he asks? In the use and exhortation in the Apocalypse, it's evidently this, the duration or cycle of existence which belongs to any object, not individually for itself, but universally in right of its genus. Kant, for example, in a little paper which I once translated, proposed and debated the question as to the age of our planet, the Earth. What did he mean? Was he to be understood as asking whether the Earth were a half million, two millions, or three millions of years old? Not at all. What he wished to know was simply the exact stage in the whole course of her development which the Earth at present occupies. Curtis and I were talking about this this evening, and I said, you know, if you look at the life cycle of a human being, the normal life cycle of a human being, there's this period of rapid growth from birth to kind of like, oh, I don't know, your late teens, early 20s. And then for a long time, it looks like it's almost at a standstill. They just kind of stay the same for a lot of years. And then all of a sudden, age sets in and you had the same rapid decline that you had the rapid growth from birth. And you look at somebody... In just one year, so much can change in an older person. Just like you look at an infant, and then in just one year after their birth, so much has changed. And then another year, so much has changed. And it's like that with older people, too. So that was what we were talking about, because as I get older, I notice that things change faster in my body. Your eyesight goes a lot faster. You spend most of your life with pretty decent eyesight. Then all of a sudden, it just starts to go downhill. Wham! And, you know, you'll go for a lot of your life with no gray hair. And then all of a sudden, bam! 
the muscles atrophy more quickly, your skin, the elasticity of your skin goes. All that happens very rapidly as we enter the end of our life cycle. So that's what he's talking about. He wants to know, well, where is the earth in that cycle? Is she still in her infancy or in the stage corresponding to middle age or in the stage approaching superannuation? The idea of Kant presupposed a certain average duration as belonging to a planet of a particular system. Man, again, has a certain Ionian life, possibly ranging somewhere about the period of 70 years assigned in the Psalms. This period would represent the eon of the individual Tellurian Tellurium, incidentally, is somebody who inhabits the earth. But the eon of the Tellurian race, that would be us, would probably amount to many millions of our earthly years. So you may only live 70, 80, 90 years. But the race has been going now for a long time. And what he's saying is it's possible that our race would probably amount to many millions of earthly years. When we look at the whole thing all stretched out, we have no idea where we are, really. He goes on to say that nothing throughout universal nature can for a moment be conceived to have an accidental life period. You know, we take this for granted in gardening. You know that you plant something. You plant a tomato seed. And then you have so long before, two, three months before you get fruit. And then after that, you know the tomato plant is not going to last much longer. You know that with plants that go to seed, that it's a certain life cycle, and that's it. You may be able to extend it a little bit by picking off the parts that are going to go to seed. You may be able to extend it, but sooner or later, it's done. So it would be foolish of us to think that there were accidental life periods when we can see about us so many obvious examples of determined life cycles. They're determined. Like the human life cycle is pretty much determined. There is an average age that a human being will live today. That doesn't mean everybody will, and that doesn't mean anything other than there's just an average age. Whether bird or tree or plant or man, each has its own eon, the period of its life cycle. Kant observes that the most thoughtless person must be satisfied, on reflection, that every life and mode of being must have hidden within itself the secret why of its duration. Someone told me not too long ago, sometime this year, that lemon trees had a life cycle of about 30 or 40 years. I was shocked. I never thought about that. I never thought that that was it, that a lemon tree would last 30 or 40 years and then be dead. It would be over. I thought, wow. But then why shouldn't it be? Why should it be some other way? He observes that the most thoughtless person. So when it came to the lemon tree, I was probably one of the most thoughtless people. But when a gardener told me that, it was like, oh, well, that's been out there for 20-some years, so it's probably close to the end of its life cycle, which would explain a lot, because it's looking pretty rugged. It's impossible to believe that any duration of anything is determined capriciously. It's not just all willy-nilly. This is an ordered universe. Where we are, it's ordered. And there's a reason it's ordered. Have you ever thought about why this is an ordered universe? It's because order comes from above. Order is set from above, and so there's a natural order of process that happens here because it's already set in a realm above this realm. The period or duration of every object would be essentially a variable quantity were it not mysteriously commensurate with that object. So it would be a variable quantity if it wasn't commensurate with the lemon tree. 
It would be variable. You could, a lemon tree could last two years or 200 years, but it doesn't. Everything in this world, possibly without a solitary exception, has its own separate eon. That's from an article by Fisher Unwin, 1890. De Quincey's article was written in 1852. Compare with this one of the propositions of Proclus. Every intramundane soul has its proper life periods and cyclic reinstatements. We'll explain this, so don't look so hopeless. De Quincey brings out only one significance of Eon. There's something that determines the length of life and the stages of growth and decay of everything in the visible world. And this is its Eon. So are we dialed in so far? Okay. So you can see that a dog has an Eon, a cat has an Eon, a human has an Eon, a certain kind of tree has an Eon, a mosquito has an Eon, lizards, have, everything has an Eon. The illustration of the pencil passing through the two-dimensional world helps us to understand what is meant. Any cross-section of the pencil manifest to the paper beings is not an independent thing, because it's part of the pencil. To them, it will appear to be independent. It will appear to be this separate thing. And I think the example was, we'll take this pencil to the paper people, they would see this little spot of graphite appear. This little round spot of graphite appear. Then they would see the spot of graphite grow. It would just become bigger. And then they would see this spot of graphite grow wood around it. You getting the picture? And then, of course, the little dot would be gone. And in each instant, what was before would disappear. It would no longer exist for them. But for us, in this higher dimension, the third dimension, we would be seeing the whole thing just going through a piece of paper. So for us, it wouldn't be a problem in that way. For them, it would be like a completely different experience because there's no way that they could see anything other than the sliver of the pencil at any given moment. When you think about that limitation, apply that to your life and your ability to see this universe as it is, to see reality as it is. That should be, if you're getting it, that should be kind of staggering to you. Your ignorance should be like, wow. That should really take the wind out of your sails. I know it does with mine. It just takes the pride and vanity right out of you. It's like, oh my God, I'm stupid. Blind, stupid, and understand almost nothing about what's real. But I understand a lot about what isn't real. Which means all that unreal understanding must be stripped away before real understanding can take its place. That's a little scary too, if you think about it. It's a partial manifestation of a higher dimensional form and one stage of that form. We're talking about the pencil again. And its location in any point of time is not haphazard. So if I take this pencil and I stick it through a piece of paper, it's going to go this tip first. The eraser is not just going to show up any old time. There's a certain time that it has to show up, depending upon how quickly the pencil is being pushed through the paper. And that's calculable which is another scary thought when you think about your life is going to come to an end the same way that pencil is going to pass through that paper. Then one day there'll be this eraser and then one day there'll be nothing. And they'll say, wow, do you remember that? That strange thing where that round spot of graphite appeared and then it grew wood all around it. Pretty weird when you think about it. As regards the life of the earth being something definite, there are many references in the apocryphal literature of the Old Testament, which at one time was valued by many more highly than the canonical, 
which refer to stages of its life. In the Ezra Apocalypse, for the world age, eon in the time sense, is divided into 12 parts. Nine parts are past already. So nine parts of this earth's age are past already. Therefore lay aside thy burdensome cares and hasten to remove from these times. Also, I disposed the world which I created by definite periods of time. The secret tradition of measured periods of time in which only certain things can happen is based on the idea that the eon of totality of the life of the earth is manifesting itself serially in time. Now, to run that back to the pencil, if you're putting this pencil through a piece of paper, only certain things can happen at certain times. It is impossible for that eraser to go through right after to the graphite. It just doesn't happen that way. It will not happen that way because it happens serially. So there's this series of cross-section pieces that will go through the paper world until it reaches its end, depending on how quickly it goes. That will determine that. So that's basically what he's saying. Follows certain stages, as does the life of man. I showed to him the secrets of the times and declared to him the end of the seasons. That's also from the Apocrypha. The same view is met with in the ancient idea of successive ages of the earth, the golden, the silver, the bronze, and the iron ages. The same idea can be made to apply to civilizations. Obviously, we have the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. You have the Third Reich. You have It just goes on and on. India, China, America. You look at where we are, and it's pretty obvious that we are a lot closer to the end than we ever imagined. But it's pretty obvious to you. But I don't think it's obvious to thoughtless people who have no concept of this whatsoever and th think nothing. That's what thoughtless means. They don't think. However, civilizations start, so it doesn't really matter how they start. They appear to pass through definite stages, just like other organisms. And just as there are people who attain maturity early or late, so does it perhaps happen with civilizations. The Roman Empire was a thousand years, and... You've got to be able to see that America has not got a thousand years. It's just not going to happen. So America, you could say, was more like a dog compared to the age of the Roman Empire. We aren't even going to have seven years for every one in the Roman Empire. In any case, the fact that there are similar stages in the life of civilizations can't be overlooked. Paracelsus applied this idea to disease. A disease runs a certain course and passes through certain stages. Well, we know this is true. How long do measles last? How long do chicken pox last? Mumps? There's a certain stage that it goes through. We understand that now. He called every disease an organism. A man he called an entity. That is related to the body as a parasite to a plant and which causes it to run a certain course and pass through certain stages. This isn't the same explanation of disease as that given by the germ theory. I love the way he says germ theory, but doctors don't call it a theory today. They think it's absolute fact. But there's a very strong possibility that Paracelsus was right. Aristotle defined eon of the universe in these words, that which constitutes the enclosing limit of the whole universe and embraces the infinite period and the infinity of all things is eon. That's a little difficult to wrap your brain around. So it's going to take a while to explain that. But fortunately, we have time on our side. In a fragment attributed to Plato, the definition runs, Eon carries all. Long time knows how to change name. Long time is 
eon. It's another way of saying eon for these people. It knows how to change name, shape, disposition, and fortune. That is, time means for us continual change. Your idea of time means continual change. From one thing to another. From one state to another. But eon is not time or time itself. For it carries all simultaneously realized. Let's go back for a moment to this altogetherness of the pencil. The pencil is altogether there. And though it is passing through the two-dimensional paper people's world, and they can only see this sliver, this cross-section of it, it's all there, but not to them. Paul speaks of the eon of this cosmos, presumably that which lies behind the visible cosmos moving in time. So you're starting to get the idea that where that pencil exists is in an invisible space that the two-dimensional people cannot comprehend, see, understand. It just cannot, the thoughts cannot come to them. Do you see that there's nothing in their world that could lead them to think of this higher plane called the third dimension? In the Hermetic literature, we find the statement that Eon is the soul of the cosmos. I must remind the reader of the definitions already given of God as beginning and end and as all possibilities. With God, all things are possible. Well, with God, all things are possible, then clearly God is all possibilities. Let's now set aside the consideration of Eon in its time sense. I regard the definition of beginning and end as referring to time itself. Everything is extended in time, in the fourth dimension of the world. And the other definition is referring to eon itself. Eon contains all things, all possibilities, the infinite aspect of everything. It's already evident enough that time and moment limit us to one thing at a time. So clearly, we are as limited in time as the paper people, the paper beings are, with the pencil passing through their dimension. So far as we experience time, which is one thing, then another, then a third. So it's one thing, it's now, but then it's past. And then the third, it's future. It certainly does not contain all possibilities. What's happening right now is the only thing that can happen right now for us. Nothing else can happen. There are no other possibilities for us. It's necessary to perceive that time, taken only as one dimension above space in a line, seen thus, our lives are lines. So you can see your life is a line, a horizontal line, birth to death. And here you are at this point in the timeline. What point is that? What point are you at now? Well, there it is. Thank you. Now. So the only place you can be in the timeline, according to our senses, is now. But if we imagine there are further dimensions, then there are lines through a higher dimensional world. Now let's imagine for a moment that we're paper beings and a pencil's passing through. There is obviously a line other than this horizontal line that we're seeing in the paper world. And that's a vertical line, isn't it? Where the pencil is coming down from and where the pencil has passed through, that's a vertical line to our horizontal world. Good. For we must now begin to approach the idea of a higher space of further dimensions beyond time itself. What we know is time is merely one track through this higher space and different in every person. That is, no individual's timeline or track is the same as another individual's. Everyone meets his own obstacles, his own experiences. Everyone follows or even forms his own time track, sometimes close beside another person's, sometimes widely divergent, sometimes close beside another person's for a certain amount of time, and then widely divergent or gone. 
This track in higher space is the life. It may be comparable to a zigzag line drawn through known space, like a lightning flash. Actually, however, we are conceiving it as drawn through higher space. Now we have to imagine that this higher space contains everything, all possibilities, all possible events, all possible experiences, the sum total of reality, known and unknown. Now here's where we have trouble. Now it becomes a rat's nest. It's like, what? There are just too many lines for our minds. What makes us so exceptional, what makes us so exceptional is our ability to think abstractly. There's just too much information, but we can abstractly think of it. For example, there are probably a lot of letters in this book. But fortunately, you can think of it abstractly, and you can think of the letters as words. Then you can think of the words in paragraphs. Then you can think of the paragraphs in chapters. Then you can think of the chapters within the book. So that's an example of being able to think more abstractly, so get away from the details so that you can handle more, which is what makes us different, or at least gives us an advantage. But of course, with every advantage, there's a disadvantage. With every front, there's a back. With every up, there's a down. So this higher space contains the infinite expression of all things. Consider one thought, one act of your own. Imagine this thought or act developed into the fullest ramification, like a tree, into every possible result in every conceivable form. One thought, one action. This full development would be the infinite expression, the infinite form of this thought or act. But, of course, it cannot exist in time. You can see that there's no way it could exist in time because time is serially for us. It's this moment and this moment and this moment. So all of that could not exist in time. That would make us tilt. For in time, we only know one form, one expression, one result. Now, imagine the world realized in all its possibilities. With this thought, we will approach the conception of Eon. It takes us entirely away from any relation to time. Do you want to approach that now, or would you like to wait until next time? All right. By the looks on your faces, we're waiting till next time. <laughs> Curtis is sleeping awake with his eyes open. Diana is like, got that thousand-meter stare. It's a lot to absorb. It's a lot to think about. It's very different from our ordinary way. You came in off the street tonight. You walked in here without any preparation for this. I think about this stuff all the time. So for me, it's like I'm prepared. I was a good Boy Scout. I'm prepared. And so I'm ready. I hit the deck running. But you hit the deck and bounce a couple of times. And so it's okay. It's not like, you know, I don't go out there and do what you do. I take time to come apart from the world and just sit outside of time. You know, when you meditate, you can get outside of time. You'll just sit. You can get outside of time. And when you do, everything's different. You have different thoughts. You have different feelings. Everything is different. You have fewer thoughts. You have fewer feelings. It's almost like time is expanded because your thoughts, there's more space between your thoughts, which means there's more time between your thoughts if you look at it from a time sense. But if you look at it from this other sense, then there's more space between your thoughts, not time. We link time and space, but they're not necessarily linked. Time is different from space. 
That's why if you travel in space, you don't age at the same rate that you do if you stay on the Earth. Anyway, these are just things to think about that's connected with Einstein's theories. And it's just interesting to think about these things. I urge you or admonish you or encourage you, whichever you prefer, to think about these things, to think outside of your little world, your little ordinary consciousness. Think outside of that. Meditate more, and when you meditate, don't pay attention to all the thoughts. You know, just let them go. Don't jump on each one and say, oh, I think. Don't jump on each feeling and say, oh, I feel. Just let them go. Just let them pass by, just as if you were watching raindrops fall from the sky, splat, that's the end of that. Just let them go by. You don't have to do anything about it. You don't have to go out and catch them. You don't have to go out and save them from hitting the ground. You don't, have, you don't have to do anything. Just watch. I recommend that, and I know you know all this, but it's always a good reminder yeah. because you forget it. It's been my experience that you forget it. So, we'll stop here and pick up next time with the next exciting section. It really is like being bludgeoned, isn't it? <laughs> and when you think about it, you really, really think about it. You're being bludgeoned with ideas that come from outside of your head. And we're, we're, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get them inside of our heads. And so, there's a lot of resistance to the ideas. That's not right. Well, that's not right. So there's all this resistance. So in a sense, it's like being bludgeoned. And that's why people get upset when you expose them to these ideas. It's upsetting to them because they feel like they're being bludgeoned. I used to take it personally. Now I realize that just because you take it personally doesn't mean I have to be that stupid. Truth is